Well, if you have your Bible today, we're gonna, I'm going to share part two of a message uh, series called uh, What Jesus Said. Last week, we talked about what Jesus said first. And this week, uh, I want to speak to you a message called What Jesus Said About the Power of Redemption. The Power of Redemption. Listen, um, you know, what uh, people say in our lives, it's very powerful. It has a dramatic effect on us. Um, how many of you, uh, maybe uh, after you were you're married, maybe you had a kid or, or, or two, you have a couple of children, all of a sudden you're interacting uh, with that child, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I mean nowhere, uh, you hear your father come out of your mouth, or you hear your mom, she just came right out. You didn't even know she was there. And those things that you heard over, over the years, over and over again uh, from, from mom, man, it was just right there. Some of you, maybe you need a reminder this morning of, 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 of some of the things uh, that mom used to say. Mom, mom probably used to say this to you. Maybe she still does. Uh, why? Uh, because I said so. Come on, I know some of you guys, some of you guys can finish this. Uh, and I don't know why, I don't, I, I don't know about the power of the number three, okay? I don't know about the power of number three. I just know that it is a mighty motivator. She said this, mama said this, I am going to count to, what, what is it about three? What is it about three? What is it about three? I think it's grace and mercy and resurrection, or I'm going to kill you and put you in the grave. Okay, I don't know, one of those two, okay? Something, something along those lines. Uh, you know, uh, we probably heard this. Yeah, it's all fun and games until someone gets. Yep, yep, you heard that one too. I did too. I heard that one a lot. Uh, uh, also, if you're from a big family, I know you heard this. Bob, Sue, Joe, Fido, whatever your name is, come in here. Okay, yeah, yeah, I have five children. I went through the list. Usually everyone, every single one, mom said it. You know, and, and, and here's, what, here's what happens. Uh, anytime that we're put under, under strain or stress, uh, and, and we're, we're, not, we're not living under control, what we do is we reach into the tool bag of the past and we reach in and whatever tools that people have spoken into our life, we just reach in and we grab that tool and boy, out, out it comes. And, and that's what happens when we're parenting and that's sometimes what happens when we're living life. We just reach in that tool bag. Well, how many of you know that the strain and stress of the last days are upon us and we don't just need the words of wise moms and dads, we need the words of Jesus to be in our tool bag. We need to be able to reach in and grab hold of what he said. Why is it so important to grab hold of what Jesus said? Because of what he said about his words. Jesus said this in John chapter 6, verse 63. He said, in the, it is the spirit that gives life and the flesh profits nothing. Say, uh, look at your neighbor and say, your flesh profits nothing. Oh, you! some of y'all wanted to say that. You said it smiling. Y'all are too happy about telling them about their flesh, okay? Your flesh profits nothing. But notice what Jesus says. He goes on to say, he says, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. They are spirit and they are life. The words I speak, they are spirit and life. How many of you think that in the last day, when people are looking for answers, they need words that are filled with spirit and life? When death is reigning, when a plague is going forth, when death counts are rising, what do you need? You need words that contain life. 
and they are uttered by our Savior, and his name is Jesus. And today I want to share with you a message called What Jesus Said About the Power of Redemption. And today we're going to see two worlds collide. Two sayings collide. And if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to look at a very familiar story where Jesus teaches us about the power of redemption. Luke chapter 5, I'm going to read this in the Amplified Version. If you don't know what the Amplified Version, it's the same Bible, I just read it loud. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. There's actually an Amplified Version. It's actually, it helps to give... Uh, alternative meanings to uh, the, the full meaning of some of the, the Greek words. Luke 5, 17. By the way, your notes, if you go to calvary.online, you click today's message, it'll, they'll all launch for you on the Bible app. You can find us on the Bible app. All the notes are there. You can certainly jot your own notes down as well. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. It says, one day, as he, Jesus, was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there, where, uh, there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present with him to heal. Let me just stop for a moment. Pharisees and teachers of the law. Here's what you need to understand. Pharisees and teachers of the law were opposed to Jesus. They were not his friends. They had come from all over, Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They are coming not to celebrate him, but to inspect him, to actually actually, and ultimately reject him. And here's what you need to know. And the power of the Lord was still there to heal. So don't wait on your circumstances to get perfect before you expect God to do something. Don't expect that everybody is going to be celebrating who you are. Oh, I'm so glad about what God has called you to do. Don't think everybody's going to be sitting there applauding. No, you just trust that God's spirit is there to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in the moment, regardless of the attitudes of those who are sitting in front of you. And I love this. It says, some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed, and then they tried to bring him in and laid him in front of Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and removed some tiles to make an opening and lowered him through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their active faith springing from confidence in him, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. The scribes and the Pharisees begin to consider and question the implications of what he had said, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies by claiming the rights and the prerogatives of God? Who can forgive sins, that is, remove guilt, nullify sin's penalty, and assign righteousness except God alone? But Jesus, knowing their hostile thoughts, answered and said, Why are you questioning these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk. But in order that you may know that the Son of Man, the Messiah, has authority uh, uh, and power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And immediately stood up. he stood up before them, 
picked up his stretcher and went home glorifying and praising God. They were all astonished and began glorifying God and they were filled with reverential fear and kept saying, what wonderful and incredible things we have seen today. A couple of things that I want to, to just highlight that are not the, the points of this sermon. I want you to note these these four friends, these friends of this paralyzed man. They came and got him on a stretcher. This guy is paralyzed. And he had a drug problem. Because his four friends were dragging him to Jesus. Some of you here today, you got a drug problem. Your parents drug you to church this morning. Got up. I'm glad you got a drug problem, okay? I just, I'm the only pastor going to tell I'm glad you got a drug problem in your life. That somebody did something for you outside of your will to get you in front of a God who can heal you. And can you imagine the terror when he's just drug to the door and there's no room and the four guys say, I got an idea. <laughs> Can you imagine today? Somebody just starts tearing off the roof to lower someone down. Uh, by the way, there's no record that they ever said, hey, by the way, we're going to pay for that. <laughs> we'll take uh, financial responsibility for what is going on. There's absolutely none of that. Only the reckless, the reckless pursuit of getting a friend to Jesus. Listen, can I just talk to the church for a minute? We need some friends to go out and find some people on stretchers. There is power in carrying somebody to a place where Jesus is moving, where his spirit is alive, where he is touching people and saving people and speaking truth and life. Some of y'all need to grab some people and do something radical. Well, I don't know if they'll receive me. Listen, just grab hold of them. Offer to pay them. <laughs> Bribe them. Ratchet straps are optional. Uh, <laughs> what if you got to do? Let me give you just another uh, insight from this passage. Uh, here's what you do really need to know. Jesus is the only one with the power to forgive sins. They knew that this man's broken state could only be, be solved not in the presence of Pharisees were, who were ruling the religious elite, not in front of the scribes who many had the first five books memorized. It wasn't going to be in the presence of the religious elite. It would be in the presence of Jesus that this man's sins, that this man's failures, that this man's insufficiencies could be met. And I want to tell and announce to every single person here in the room that Jesus has the power to forgive your sins. Listen, church, I'm not convinced that we all really believe that. Why? Because we still carry the sorrow of yesterday. If you really believed he forgave you, you would say, not only did he free me from the sin, but from the shame as well. Amen. Yes. I'm telling you, Jesus has the power to forgive and the power to redeem. This for this man on the stretcher is a moment of redemption. That's not a word that you use unless you're an extreme couponer, okay? Uh, redemption is 
this. It means to buy back, in a spiritual sense, to buy back from the slave market of sin. We were all slaves to sin, and yet one who saw a value in us comes and purchases us from one who owns us and buys us back. Another way to say it would be this. It would be to, re- it was to, to pay a price in order to restore This is the declaration of the power of redemption. And you and I need to understand what Jesus said about redemption. There are two things that get compared. He says in the beginning, your sins are forgiven. And they got mad. And he says, there are three things that are equal to saying your sins are forgiven to this paralyzed man. And we are going to talk about those three things The three instructions to the redeemed, the three instructions that Jesus gives to those who are born again, those who are are experiencing new life in Christ, they're equal. Your sins are forgiven means these three things. And so we're going to grab hold of these today. So first is this, when you're forgiven, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus said, get up. Get up up. Oh man, I like this. Jesus has a habit of giving us instruction we could never fulfill in our own strength. After all, this man is paralyzed. What in the world is happening? He's not coaching the paralyzed man. Many of us think of of pastors and sermons or the word of God as simply coaching to, to modify our human behavior. It is not that. This moment of redemption where Jesus says, get up, it is actually releasing in him the the power necessary to get him up. Amen. He could not lift himself. Jesus says things to the redeemed that otherwise would have been impossible. Now, there's a passage that goes perfectly with this. I'm going to read to you 10 verses. I'm going to read them to you, and you'll have your Bible reading in for today. It's Ephesians chapter 2 that really encapsulates this whole idea of Jesus speaking to the paralyzed, those who can't help themselves. It's Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Do you see this? He raised us from the dead. Who? What? The paralyzed, those who could not get themselves up. In which you once walked, listen to this, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted us. Here's good counsel, church. Never forget who you once were. We conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. But God, man, are you ever glad that there are these moments in Scripture, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he, what, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And what? Raised us up. 
together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. You can't walk in it unless you what? Get up. And when God says, get up, what is he saying? He is saying this. You are paralyzed in willful sin. You're paralyzed in sin by nature. But, but in my mercy, I am speaking to your spirit. This is what Jesus says. Jesus speaks to the spiritually dead. And he says, get up. It's the same sound that Lazarus heard when he said, Lazarus, Come forth. He said, get up. And I tell you, I hear the voice of God coming to the church again saying, get up. Get up. Get up. We bought a lie. We bought a lie. We have disconnected salvation from coming out of a lifestyle of sin. What nonsense. Nonsense. No, just think, well, you know, yeah, I'm saved, but I'm just a sinner. Uh-oh. Evidently, according to Ephesians, that's the way you once walked. That's the course of this world. That's the prince of the power of the air. That's talking about Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. What is supposed to be at work in us? The Holy Spirit is supposed to be working in us. And by the way, it takes the Holy Spirit to get up. And you need to understand this. When God calls you into salvation, for those who are looking today from the outside in, you say, who is this maniac preaching to me like a man sat on fire? It is a person who heard a voice who, who shook me in my darkness, called me by name and said, get up. I never for once in my life thought to myself that I could have ever lived the Christian life. And the good news is none of us can until you hear the voice that will raise you from the dead. Get up. Get up. Church, don't, don't live as if you didn't hear a voice saying get up. Because if he broke the power of sin to make you uh, in the, to become the part of, uh, part of the family of God, then he is broken it to the point where you can actually get up and live apart from it. I love this. When you're redeemed, Jesus is saying, I am giving you the power to get up out of sin. So if you're not born again here and you don't know God and you're not, you don't know if you're on your way to heaven, I've got good news. Jesus is saying it again today. Get up. You say, I'm dead. Yeah, but the grace of God is saying you can get up. Because I got up on the third day. You can get up. Because I was raised from the dead. I'll give you resurrection life. And church, there's something for us to, to learn in this moment as well. That that continuous sin, that thread of sin that keeps showing up, that, that compromise that keeps showing up, there's a voice speaking to us as well saying, get up. Get up. Listen, church. In this hour, a lukewarm church will live in fear, will live in doubt, will live in defeat, 
and will stop shining the light of the gospel. But if we will receive the resurrection power, the power of redemption, and know how God has redeemed us and given us the power to get up, we'll come out of the bondage of yesterday into the liberty that is in Christ. Get up, church. Listen, when you're forgiven and you know the power of redemption, here's the second words that he says. He says, take up. He says, get up. And then he says, take up. What's he say? He says, I say to you, pick up your stretcher. Take up your mat. Now, why in the world does he do this? I mean, they done torn off the roof. They're not addressing the roof. Tiles everywhere. The place is wrecked anyway. Why take up the mat? Somebody's got to clean up. Take up your stretcher. Come on, there is something to be learned in this moment. When God says get up, he not only says get up, but he says take up. Jesus says the things that used to hold you can no longer contain you. That's what he's saying. This stretcher that used to be your home, this thing that you were bound in, you are no longer bound. It no longer is holding you. You have authority over it. I love this. This is what Romans 6 says. Romans 6 says the same thing. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust and do not present your members, your, your body, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God being what? Alive from the dead. What's that? Having gotten up and your members as instruments of righteousness to, uh, to God for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace. Listen, some of y'all need to underline this verse. This is so good. It's troubling for some. Boy, it makes me want to shout. Sin shall not have dominion over you. He's saying, listen, the stretcher of sin that I was in when I was in my paralyzed state and helpless, it will not reign over me. Amen. That's not my words. That's that's Christ's words. And what are they? Spirit and life. So for those here today who are wondering if you can come out of that habitual sin, here's what I hear Jesus saying. Take up your mat. Come on, you got up. You were, you were saved. You were redeemed. You were forgiven. It's time you take up your mat. Come on, he forgave you. You can come out of the sexual sin. You can come out of the alcoholism. You can come out of the drug addiction. You can come out of the pornography. You can come out because sin will not reign in you when Christ is reigning over you. Amen. See, when you're redeemed, oh, it's so good. Some of y'all just, Romans 6, 14. Just say it. Say it over and over and get it in your spirit. When you're redeemed, Jesus turns your tragedy into triumph. I don't know if that's your story, but that's our story. 
He turns your tragedy into triumph. Jesus turns our graves into gardens. Jesus turns our limp and our wounds of the past into leaping for him. And boy, when you live this life long enough and you realize he's raised you up, he turns your test into a testimony. It's just him declaring his faithfulness in your life. Listen, I don't know why Jesus isn't like the faith healers of today. Hey, can I have your stretcher? I'm going to carry your stretcher around and show it to everybody. You know, he just, I mean, that's what we do today. We collect, we want to, we want to fill stages with, with crutches and wheelchairs. Not Jesus. Jesus said, you take it up, clean it up yourself. Take authority over what used to have authority over you. This is so good. Can I just, uh, let, me, let me say it to you in another way. Believers, when you're redeemed, you can stop tolerating the devil's activity in your life. You can stop tolerating the enemy's dominion in your life. You have the authority in Christ to live in dominion over what used to dominate you. Matthew 6, 19, when Peter had the awesome revelation of who Christ was, Christ said these words to him. He says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He says, I'm giving you keys, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You say, what does that even look like? Okay, um, so my mom used to say something when, when us three kids and our friends would go out the front door. And in our zeal, we would leave the front door open. And this is what she would say. Do you think we are trying to air condition Polk County? Big county, center of the state. What was she saying? I need you to shut the door because I do not want what is on the outside of Florida in the summer heat to come in and mess up the environment that's on the inside of this house, which I am paying a price for. The keys of the kingdom work the exact same way. What are keys for? They open doors and they close doors. So here's what we do in the spirit. We close the doors to things in our houses, in our lives that would actually rob us of what God wants to bring us into. We close the door on hatred, malice, envy, jealousy, contentions, outbursts of wrath, uh, all kinds of, 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 of speaking evil against another person. We give, we, we close the door on that. But then, just like Floridians, when the first cold front comes through, come on, some of y'all praying with me. Pray with me, pray with me. Oh, y'all can't wait for the first cold front to come through. Oh, y'all are gonna be like, oh, praise God. What will you do? Every window comes open, the doors that come open. Why? Because you want what is blessing you from the outside to come on the inside. And 
you didn't pay for that. And so what do we do? With the keys of the kingdom, we close the door on the enemy, which mostly works through our flesh and those things which we have crucified. We crucified our own flesh. And what do we do? We open the doors to things we didn't ever pay for that would bring the refreshing of God's presence in our house, the refreshing of God's presence in our life. It brings refreshing. So church, when God says, take up your mat, he is saying, it is time to stop tolerating the enemy, close the door on him and lock it and open the door to the work of my spirit and I'll come in and refresh you in a way that you could never do for yourself. A couple of years ago, I got a call here. It was rather odd. I could tell this woman on the other end of the, the line was frazzled, to say the least. Um, she called and she said, um, hey, uh, is this the pastor of Calvary Church? I said, yes, it is. She goes, well, I had some other pastors tell me to call you. I'm like, okay. I'm like, what in the world is this going to be? She goes, well, I need to tell you something strange is happening in my house. And me, my husband, and my child, we're not even going back there. I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, we were in the house and a knife flew off the counter at us and no one was in the kitchen. And she began to kind of list other kind of semi-creepy things. Two things popped in my head. One was, why in the world did all those other pastors tell her to call me? <laughs> and number two is... What's the open door? So as I'm just talking to her and getting to know her on the phone, on the other side of me, I'm going, God, what's the open door? And I heard the Lord say this, and I hope this offends you. Because if it does, it'll bless you to change. I heard the Lord say, ask her about her family's fascination with the undead. And I'm like, I'm just talking to her, and she's like, yeah, we're not going back. And I'm like, man, we're freaked out, and you wouldn't believe this stuff that's going on. I said, listen, I'm a man, and I'm, I can miss it, but sometimes God talks to me. And I said, if, if I'm wrong, just say, hey, pastor, you have missed it, and call the next guy, okay? Uh, but I, I feel like the Lord wants me to ask you, what's the fascination with the undead, zombies or something? And it was like the whole atmosphere of the conversation changed. It went from very somber to very bright. And this is what she says. Oh, yes, we love the walking dead. We have the little figurines all over our house. We love it. We have the video games. We have everything. She goes, why do you ask? <laughs> I said, let me tell you why. It's because that's the door the devil came through. Now, what I want to say to you next is that all of them were quick to repent and to give their lives to Jesus. And in one prayer, 
over the phone. I didn't have to go over there and do any crazy stuff. You know, I didn't have to go over there. I prayed one prayer over the phone in authority, closed the door on the devil, told her, go and get that stuff out of your house and declare it's not coming back because Jesus is Lord of your house now. He said, you get it out of your house. And when she did it, guess what? Everything changed. In one prayer, closing the door, taking authority over the mat that held them in bondage. Church, listen to me. Your authority in the spirit is real. The keys are real. Take up your stretcher. Take it up. The things that once dominated you now through Christ, you can walk in dominion over. Amen. Hallelujah. The last instruction, when Jesus said, what's it easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up, take up. Last one, go home. What? Like, he, I, I thought it was going to be thunderous, you know. You are now the apostle of deliverance. You now are having a, a, a healing ministry of your own. Nope. The instruction was, get up, take up, go home. Oh, this is so good. He said, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And he immediately stood up before them, picked up his stretcher. Remember, the crowd is so thick, he couldn't get in the door a few minutes ago. He's waddling over people, carrying this stretcher, and what? He went home glorifying and praising God. The effect of salvation through Jesus' Jesus is not only aimed at you, but it's aimed at your family. It's aimed at your family. And I want to tell you, if you're here today and you're like, yeah, my mom's been telling me to come, you know, to this church. And man, she's been talking different. Or maybe you're, a, you're a, a son or a daughter and a teenager and God's been talking to you. And maybe you're a parent of one of those teenagers that God's been changing their lives. You're like, yeah, they've been talking about it. You know, what have they done? They've taken the redemption they experienced at the feet of Jesus and they went home and they were glorifying and praising God. I'm telling you, church, what God is saying in this hour, the words of Jesus is open your mouth and give God the glory that he said to you, get up and take up and go home with it. Go home. Oh, you, you started dreaming about a platform ministry, but you weren't dreaming about your front door. Jesus was dreaming about your front door. You see, go home and open your mouth and glorify and praise God for all that he has done. Why? Because God wants your whole family redeemed. It would be enough if we saw it in one passage, but how about if I showed it to you the exact same thing in another passage where there was a man who had some 7,000 plus demons probably uh, in him. It was the man, uh, they, we call him affectionately the demoniac. Why? Because he was filled with demons. Jesus goes and casts out all of these demons. He's sitting in his right mind. And then the, 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 all of the normal people, quote unquote, they were terrified when he became normal. 
And notice what happens in Luke chapter 8, 38. Now the man from whom uh, the demons had departed begged him that he might be with Jesus. He begged him. Oh, man, what would pastors do for people to come begging them? Oh, man, please let me be a part of this ministry. I'll be here every day. I'll I'll serve. I'll sweep. I'll mop. I'll do whatever we got to do. I just want to be here. I want to be here. You know what Jesus says? Go home. We pastors were like, come on, come on. We need, we need more hands. We need more, and, we, and we do. We need more hands. But notice what Jesus did. Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house. And tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things uh, Jesus has done. What, why? Why? Why did he tell him return to his own house? Here's why. When families are transformed by Jesus, it leads to regions transformed by Jesus. You see this demoniac, when he went home and told all that God had done with him to his house, it then spread to a city named Decapolis. Decapolis actually means 10 cities. So, so here's, here's what happened. One man gets delivered. He goes home, tells what God did, and from that family, launches a ministry that touches the region, 10 cities. Listen, it is of the utmost importance that the revival that flows like a river in this place goes into your home. By the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but God's been trying to convince us of this all 2020. When your government has been telling you, go home. Go home. But instead of just feeling like you have been quarantined, why don't you think like a disciple and saying, I'm being sent back to the house to learn the power of where two or three are gathered together in his name. There I am in the midst. I'm going to carry what God is doing in me to the house because when families get changed, regions can get changed. This is the power of redemption. Where Jesus said, these are equal. Your sins are forgiven. Get up. Take up. Go. Get up. Take up. Go home. Where does it start? Respond to the voice. Respond to Jesus. It's very simple. 1 John 1, 9 says it this way, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess is in, in the Greek is homologeo. It means to say the same thing that God is saying. Here's what he is saying. Your sins and the payment for your sin is death, but I came in grace to pay the penalty of your sins so you can get up. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I'm getting up. I receive what you're saying to me. Church, get up. Take up.